This episode of the Beautiful Feet Podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary of My Solitude, a published book of poetry by me, Anthony Giesick. You can pick up your copy at beautifulfeetentertainment.com, at iUniverse.com, and Amazon.com. This is the Beautiful Feet Podcast. A partnership with BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. My name is Anthony. And I'm Jessica. So this week we are continuing our conversation into um, the comparison between Nureyev and Eminem and just um, the comparison between their two careers. Um, last week we talked about kind of their upbringing and their beginning into their career. Uh, so this week we wanted to talk about their career and just go in depth with that. Well, and also we had talked about the possibility if their career had any controversy that we could perhaps address those as well. Yes. So let's continue with Nevaeh. What do we got? Well, at this point in time, in the early 1960s, he had already defected to the West, as we talked, we touched on and talked about in our previous episode. Um, he did spend some time in New York City, and he spent some time in London, um, and he spent some time in Paris. He was just kind of really living that jet-setting life, going here, there, and everywhere. But he was performing while he was traveling, was that correct? Yes, he was performing. He performed with Margot Fontaine. He performed, um... He would do, like... So they would have a particular dance company, and he would be, like, their guest artist. Yeah. So he would do those kind of things, um... <laughs> I don't know if we talked about this last time, but he actually made it on to an episode of The Muppet Show, which I just think is hilarious. No, we had not talked about <laughs> either one of their uh, transitions into movies and TV. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But he made it to The Muppet Show, so that, that's, uh, that's high praise right there. Um, let's talk about the height of his career. Like, was he award-winning? In a, I mean, I don't know if they give awards for... His particular art, but talk about his accolades. Um, I want to say that he did win like a Grand Prix, but again, I would have to look that up. Um, Julie Cavanaugh has an excellent biography out about him, but it is a tomb, like it is a huge book, so that's going to be chocked full of more information about Nereyev. More information. I think like. We've, we've talked a little bit about this, how he started out, he was a dancer, and then he became more of a choreographer, and then finally he ended his career as an artistic director. Yeah, so there's stages to his career, just like there's stages to everyone's career. Well, and I think to really understand Nureyev and like his career motivations, you have to look at, again, just like the corner of the world that he's coming from, because he was coming from Russia, and they have this very deep seated transition of having their own style of ballet because the Bolshoi started in 1776 founded by Catherine the Great so they have like he's coming from this legacy of okay the state pays for your education and like there are certain standards that they they embodied with that so it's almost like okay the state pays for your education 
with the expectation that you're going to perform for them. Yes, exactly. And for them exclusively. Exactly. And uh, he was being told that he was going to be sent back to Ufa, which is where he was originally from. And he's like, if I go and I dance there and I do that, by the time I get to an an actual company like the Bolshoi or the Kirov or all these things, my career is going to be over. Yeah. So he's looking at it from a longevity perspective, not just for the next few years I'll be here and then I could retire. He's like, what do I do after that? Well, and you see, like, before him, Nijinsky came around, I want to say, in the 1910s, 1920s, um, and he was traveling with a ballet ruse, so you see kind of a similar vein of, like, you have the superstar who's traveling, but uh, Nijinsky actually ended up retiring, and then he had schizophrenia, so that's, like, a whole other story, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, just this tradition of, like, okay, I have all of this not just dancing talent but he had a lot of acting ability as well while he was mm-hmm. on stage um so when he like was making that transition from okay i'm going to be a dancer to i'm going to be a choreographer what he was doing was he undertook this task of being able to reset these classical ballets that had already been put forth by like previous Russians um, and he wanted to be able again to just take something that had like a little bit of a shelf life I guess and just try and breathe new life into those works whether it was incorporating different costumes or larger roles for the male dancers like he he wanted to be able to have that be his legacy after he was done dancing was to be that of a choreographer nice and then, obviously, you know, as you age, as you, like, your body can only handle so much physical, um, all right, I'm going to get up, I'm going to do this every day. So the artistic director, I feel like that was, that was kind of like their answer to, okay, you were this great superstar, but we know that, like, his, his constellation was fading because... Then you're going to see Barishnikov come on in the 80s and he's going to take up that mantle of being the next great ballet star. Well, there you go. So, um, from Eminem's standpoint, like, we're talking about kind of career highlights, right? So, you know, his first single came out, his first album came out to very good reviews. And... The first album being the Slim Shady LP. Uh, okay, so I feel like I need to explain. You had Eminem and you had Slim Shady. Mm-hmm. So there's two different personas within this one um, artist. Eminem was very much the underground rapper who um, really just in- loved the culture, loved everything about it. Slim Shady was like this, this, uh... He seems a little bit more irreverent. Explain. Like, not... Whereas Eminem is gonna have more of a respect for rap and hip-hop, I feel like, uh, Slim Shady is kind of mocking. So, yeah, Slim Shady is very sarcastic, very in-your-face, writing, uh, using phrases and words strictly for shock value. 
So when Eminem first uh, signed with Dr. Dre uh, and they first started working together, Eminem's main goal, because Dr. Dre was already a legend in hip hop, mm-hmm. um, with NWA, with uh, Snoop Dogg, with Tupac. I mean, Dr. Dre's legacy was already pretty much solidified. Eminem went in saying, I'm basically a nobody. I need to. He didn't want to impress people. He wrote to impress Dr. Dre. Mm-hmm. So he would sit there and think of the most outlandish things that nobody was really talking about. And Dr. Dre loved it. One, because Dr. Dre knew that this is gonna this is gonna get him exposure because he's gonna reach an audience that most people aren't reaching. Now, granted, when Eminem came out in the end of the nineties, it was about ninety seven, ninety eight when his first album came out, which is the year I turned ten, which is why I know <laughs> I've been listening to him since I was 10, um, which if you listen to the lyrics that I was listening to at 10, you, you'd probably wonder. Uh, but everyone else at that time was like very verbose. They were very like, look at the cars that I drive, look at the chain, the, the, like, the gold and the, the platinum. And it's the, very flashy. It's very flashy. Eminem is far from flashy. His videos were always more of a low budget his his rhyme patterns and what he spoke about was always very um almost self-deprecating in a way so slim shady was really this way for uh eminem to get to play a different kind of character exactly um and so because of that his superstardom shot up i honestly believe it's because not everyone is going to relate to the flashiness of hip-hop where they talk about how much money they have because we don't have money. Mm-hmm. But when you have someone who's a little more self-deprecating, a little more they're having fun with their lyrics, and they're just talking about whatever, it's more relatable. Uh, and Eminem's not afraid to get personal. He's not afraid to write from a personal standpoint of pain, frustration, anger, he writes about it all. He does not just give you the good, happy story. Um, he gives you everything. Now, second album was the Marshall Mathers LP. That's more of a personal album. And still to this date, which that came out 2000, I believe. Mm-hmm. So we're going on 20 years of that album. It's still his top selling album of all time. It actually is the highest Last I checked, it was the highest-selling album of all time. Not just hip-hop, of all time. So, that tells you right there, it's a masterpiece of an album. And that's the one that nowadays, when he puts an album out, like Music To Be Murdered By, it's immediately compared to the Marshall Mathers LP. Mm-hmm. Automatically. Does it sell as much as the Marshall Mathers LP? Does it have the lyrics that the Marshall Mathers LP had? Like, every, in every aspect, it's compared to that album. Everything Eminem does is compared to that album. So that's, that's the height of his career. Even though it's funny, it's not my favorite album. My favorite album is his third album, which is the Eminem show. Uh, because it is personal, but it still has Slim Shady's sarcastic side. and uh, It's not as controversial, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um... Well, and just this fact of being able to play a character, literally that was what Nureyev was doing. He was going on stage every night being yeah. like, 
oh, I'm going to be like a prince or some other noble or all these things. Whereas in like in real life, he was like, I'm not actually like a prince. I'm just an average guy. Yeah. And and like I said, Eminem got to the point with his career. He made a name off of shock value. Mm -hmm. Like he purposely would write lyrics that like the average listener would go, wait, what did he say? I need to go back and listen to it again. Um, well, and I think you do have to remember his age when he's recording these things. He's in, like, what, his early 20s? Uh, no. By the time... So he got... His first album came out, he was 27. Oh, okay. So, so like... By the time uh, Eminem show... Not Eminem show, but Marshall Mathers LP came out, 29, maybe? 30? But still young. Hmm. Um, still learning, um, still trying to figure stuff out, uh, because you have to realize he was seemingly dirt poor before that, mm -hmm. and the next thing you know, he has money. Like, and he doesn't know what to do with the money. Well, and I feel like that is another thing that is not always touched upon, is if you have money and you've never had it before, like, you need someone to help teach you how to manage it. And Eminem always kind of kept in his mind... Like, that my career may not last forever. Mm -hmm. So he didn't want to spend money. Yeah. Like, there's a story, and he actually confirmed it in an interview, but there's a story that always went around that early in his career, he went shopping or whatever, and he found, like, a Rolex watch that he really wanted. And, of course, this is at the height of probably the Marshall Mathers LP. So he's selling the most records he's ever sold in his life. He's richer than he's ever been. He calls his manager to get his accountant on the line, like, can I afford this? Right? Mm -hmm. And they go, yeah, dude, you're good. And they're, they're laughing at him at the same time, like, dude, you're good. He buys, he buys it. And, and this interview that he's talking about, uh, it was, I don't know, four or five years ago. So pretty recent. He said, I still have that watch. I never wear it. Because I don't want to break it. I don't want to get it scratched. Because he has this value of money. He's not just going to throw it out. He's going to invest it or hang on to it. Because he knows what it's like to not have it. So, and again, Nureyev is probably very much the same. Where he's like, I value my career. Because I know what it's like not to have food. Or not to have uh, adequate housing or whatever. Right? Like. Yeah, they... um. I have to laugh because you're always like, oh, I hate potatoes. But, like, I think that was one of the things that he did end up eating, eating a up. lot of. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go into controversy. We have to. I, I can't go any farther without talking about Eminem's controversy. Okay. Go ahead. So, Eminem, I mean. One question before you do. Is this controversy going to be directly linked to his stardom? Do you think the controversy would have still happened if he hadn't been famous? No. Okay, continue. Okay, because in his in his music, he again, he's like he's a foul mouth dude on the mic. He cusses like crazy, but um, so there's that warning to anyone who doesn't know who Eminem is. I don't know how you don't, but whatever. Um, he also has targeted celebrities, 
but he makes fun of celebrities. He's gone after a couple presidents. Not physically, but you know, with, with words and, and songs. Um, and I'll talk about that in a moment. He's um, used uh, homosexual like slurs, I guess mm-hmm. is the way to say it. Even though he does not mean them to offend actual gay and lesbian uh, people from that community. He uses it more of, again, he comes from a scene where you you battle people. You're going to make fun of people. Now, he, so he's using these words to make fun of just people in general. Um, he went after pop stars. Mm-hmm. The reason he went after pop stars is because oftentimes when he, his music was categorized, it wasn't categorized as hip-hop, but pop music. And I feel like that designation probably did irk him because it, it, he did not set out to be... It pissed him off. He was not a, a pop star. Mm-hmm. He made popular music, but he was not a pop star. He's an underground rapper who just happens to... When he made it famous, he made popular music. So that was his response to that. Um, now, his biggest controversy outside of his family, which we'll get into, like, was against, uh, GLAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance. Like, I forget what it actually stands for, but, um, basically they were, like, they were boycotting his music, they would boycott him at award shows because of his homophobic lyrics or lyrics against women. Um, and again, he, he never intended it to be you know, oh, I'm, you know, I don't like women or whatever. He just uses words that he heard throughout his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, so, and then you have the controversy with his mom. So basically, in his first album, he took a couple, he wrote a couple lines about his mom and how um, certain alleged drug habits that she had and whatever. She didn't take kindly to that, and she actually sued him for a lot of money. So that would be her suing him for, like, defamation of character? Exactly. I think that's what it was. And um, he actually, I think, I think she won one of the settlements, but she didn't get very much money out of it. But, um, now, granted, he has been known um, to allege that she suffered from Munchausen Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And Munchausen syndrome, because I had to look it up when I heard this in the song. It's in the song um, "Cleaning Out My Closet," which is a song all about his mom. Um, and it's in the Eminem show, like that album. So he, basically, it's the idea that she would purposely throughout his childhood, purposely make him sick, or make him think he was sick. To put attention onto her. So people would feel bad about, oh, I'm sorry, your son's not feeling well. Let me help take care of you. I don't know if that's true. That could be 100% just made. I don't know. But that's what he claims. Because that is quite an accusation. Yes. Uh, and the ha- the, I have read somewhere within my childhood, within my time of reading, uh, that she did have... Um, like child protective services called on her at least once now granted Eminem also has a younger brother 
uh, who I think as soon as he made it famous, he took in like he 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 mm-hmm. took in a lot of members of his family um, because he didn't think his mom was fit to raise kids. Bottom line. Um, so, but yeah, his career is riddled with controversy. People either love him or hate him, or they love the fact that they or they hate the fact that they love him. Right? Like yeah. Um, so when you think of his career you have to really think of the controversy but what he always always kind of pointed it out to was the more controversy he had the more people listened to his music mm-hmm. they say there's no such thing as bad publicity so yeah so um i had a question that's totally slipped my mind so did you have any other comments on Nevaeh? And any possible controversies on his side? Well, I feel like, again, I'm always looking at people within the historical context of what is going on in the overarching uh, time period at large here. Um, So when Nereyev was growing up and when he was a young man, to be a homosexual, which he was, was still not something that was readily accepted or... A lifestyle that was really going to be just readily embraced by the public at large. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nureyev, like, the man that he really spent the majority of his time with and that he loved very deeply was a man named Eric Bruin, who was a, a dancer for the Danish National Ballet. And they had seen each other, um, you know, professionally, like they knew e- about each other through dance magazine but then they were able to meet in person and obviously they they were training together they fell in love with one another but for a period of time Nereyev was living with Margot Fontaine so that of course sparked rumors that perhaps that they were having an affair because she was married to a diplomat um so there is that and he had addressed the um like later on in his life he he was like you know I loved Margot, but I didn't love her in a romantic sense. I loved her in this sense of, like, we just had a really good working partnership together. Yeah. Just to kind of set the record straight with that. But he does mention the fact, again, later on in life, that he was sad that he never had the opportunity to father any children. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, like, during the end of his life, because he passed away in 91 or 93 because he did pass away from AIDS that is something that again was just not it was just barely starting to be something that was being talked about and discussed in the late 1980s so um yeah he he was i feel like his temper might too have also led to situations where there would have been people who were like okay i might not have really always enjoyed working with him yeah hi kitty oh we have our little cat here she just wants to say hello yeah i think um you know having i don't want to say anger issues but an explosive anger like that could easily bring bring people to be like hey I'm gonna keep my distance, you know. You know, um, I've heard Eminem has definitely had an explosive temper, 
I don't know if that's true or not because that doesn't get put. It's in his music. He 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 expresses a lot of anger in his music, but it's not like we're seeing newspaper articles of him attacking paparazzi or anything like that. So. Well, then for both of them, I feel like honestly that intense anger is probably just a side effect due to their perfectionism. Okay. Yeah, I mean Eminem definitely. You know, in order to build the career he has. He had to be aggressive anyway. I mean, because no, no one took him seriously. So he had to not only believe in himself, but he had to keep pushing forward. Um, so he has that aggressive, aggressive side and that competitive side. And um, Well, and yeah. sometimes what we might think of as, okay, at least in Dereyev's case, we might think of it as angry. Like, he's just honestly being a little bit more blunt than most people would yeah. be comfortable with. Yeah, and I would agree. Uh, I think Eminem was the same way. He was very, he seems to be very blunt in his lyrics, in the way he speaks. Um, but I've also seen a lot of interviews with people who've worked with him, especially women. Because again, he people claim he's like misogynistic and doesn't like women, but yet he's worked with like, um, he's worked with Skylar Gray, Dina Ray. Uh, he's worked with Rihanna multiple times. Uh, he's worked with a number of women uh, and songwriters and performers, and all of them say he's like the most kind-hearted, um, like polite person that you'll meet. So I'm like, okay, he's obviously not a bad dude, or they wouldn't work with him, mm-hmm. right? Um, and these are people who like it's not just sending stuff to each other back and forth; like they're in the same room working together. So, well, and I feel like for Nureyev too, a lot of it was like, hey, sometimes I just want to get away. I want to head to the beach. I want to like be not in the spotlight right now. And that's why he was really hesitant, and like he did not. He was not a big fan of. Okay, I'm gonna sit down and give you an interview. Yeah. Because like when he wasn't in the studio, he was like, I just need to relax. Yeah. When I'm not at work, I'm just a regular person. And Eminem's definitely, Eminem's uh, more of a private person. Um, even though his music gives a lot of like his personal life, again, you don't see him putting his personal life on social media a whole lot. Um, he just, you never like his last three albums, two albums have been. Uh, there's been no promotion for them. It's just here. There's an Eminem album. Well, and then two for Nureyev, like the Nureyev Foundation is going to be a place that's going to be promoting like his work and his ballets and things. Yeah. Obviously, because he is not with us to do that himself. <laughs> yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, I'm just trying to think through. Um, you were talking about the different um, stages of Nureyev's career, how he went from like performer to choreographer to. Um, artistic director. artistic director. I'm thinking through that from an Eminem standpoint, like where he's the artist, and then he becomes a producer, and then he starts his own record label, and he also uh, has a serious satellite radio station called Shade Forty Five, uh, which he doesn't. I don't know what he. I think he just owns it. I don't know if he works. For it, mm-hmm. I think he honestly just owns it. 
Um, and he, I don't know if he's done any other endorsements or anything like that. I think that's it. Well, and for me, like, what I really enjoy is being able to see from when Nereif was born to when he died, like, in that 60-year span of history, just how much historical change, like, that he was not only witnessing, but actively being a part of. Yeah. Because, obviously, after he defected to the West, you're going to start to see a whole lot of other talents slowly trickling into, like, okay, we want more artistic freedom. This is going to offer it to us. Like, even Barishnikov, that's why he, I want to say, is based out of Canada now. Pretty much the same exact reason. Like, I just wanted a chance to be able to get away, and so the West offered that to me. Yeah. So that could definitely be considered a controversy in and of itself is like okay what was russia doing wrong that their top talent was like i'm out well what do you think that would be then well and Arayev was asked this question like he was interviewed and he was talking about someone was like oh do you do you miss your mom do you want to be able to see her and he was like yes i do miss her i want to be able to see her but I know that the people at the top, like the people who are politically involved, who could make that happen, are not going to want to because it does not benefit them. Yeah. So he's speaking out against the country um, and, the, and their policies. Because after he defected, like his father lost his government position, his mother and his sisters, who were going to be dependent on his success at the Kirov Ballet, like they just became politically ostracized. So yeah. it really was this choice had rippling effects in his family at large. I mean, again, we see that same uh, similar circumstance with Eminem where he was very vocal um, when it comes to certain presidents, mm -hmm. right? So, he's always, I mean, from the beginning of his career, he's always kind of poked fun at presidents or certain things that presidents to do. Uh, but there's two presidents that he just completely was like, I don't support you. One of them um, he spoke about was on um, a song called Mosh, which is on his Encore album, and it was about President Bush. And he just basically disintegrated like just talked about every aspect of uh the administration and, and how we need to vote against bush and you know whatever um and that was and that was one of those songs that like i think he actually got uh put on like a watch list by the mm -hmm. president you know what i mean like and then well what Obviously, when you're going to speak out about a person who is in power or getting ready to take power, then yeah, they're going to... Oh, he, this, was, this was after he already was president. So that would definitely be like something that's going to be notable. Yeah. And then you have uh, on his album The Revival that came out 2017... You have a song called, um, I think it's called Like Home. I have to look it up again. But it's a song he did with Alicia Keys about Donald Trump. Whereas I feel like Nureyev really kind of, he did try and steer clear of politics. Because for him, 
dance and the arts. That was the major love of his life. That was his passion. Well, that was what he wanted to be. And again, Eminem's associated. Ba- Eminem's with. very much the same. He, like most of the stuff he says about presidents, it's totally a joke. It's you know, but these two examples are like I've had enough. I need to say something. I'm, I'm and when he spoke out against Trump, like in 2017 and he's still kind of speaking about it now um trump actually had people secret service or whatever meet eminem to see if he was going to physically harm the president so now we see the fact that we have these artists who are being impacted by the situations that are going on during the time that they're being alive and like just how to um how to translate that over into their artistic forms yeah because dance in the 1960s and 1970s really went through i want to say like a major overhaul yeah and again we're here at the half an hour mark so yay for part two i mean is there anything else we need to talk about with these because i think we've done a pretty good comparison between the two i feel like we've, we've covered a lot of things um again this all just really started for me about watching the biopic about nureyev's life called the white crow directed by ralph uh Finez. yeah did i say that right i don't know um it was i thought it was a wonderful film but i will warn you like there are definitely some adult moments in the film as well there should so, be it's an adult movie it's not that kind of movie, but... No, like, it's not, but it's, it's not for kids. You do see, like, there's nudity, and then they also have a moment where they go to essentially what would be a topless bar. So, just... Your mom liked that scene. I think she actually fell asleep a little bit during that moment. She purposely, like, was like, nope. Anyway, um... So, yeah, um, just my passion for ballet and... Being able to see a little bit of Nureyev's life story just on the big screen was really exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun having this discussion. Um, I don't know if there'll be a part three. Maybe we can work that out um, in the months before the end of the year. But, um, yeah. Let's go ahead and jump to a quick break. And then we'll be back with the Bible study portion of the podcast. So hang tight. We'll be back with the Beautiful Feet podcast. Inspired by hip-hop and the faith culture, the sanctuary in my solitude, the thoughts, feelings, and life lessons of an imperfect Christian by Anthony Kiesick is beautifulfeetentertainment.com's work in print. It is a book of poetry, and it's available through iUniverse.com, Amazon.com, beautifulfeetentertainment.com and the links are also available in our social media and podcast so please consider the sanctuary of my solitude if you're looking for a next great read thank you so much welcome back to the beautiful feet podcast it's the portion of the podcast so we're going to go ahead and jump into scripture Um, We haven't been going over a book, but we're going to actually be going over the Christmas story from a few different people's point of view. Oh, okay. Yeah, welcome to the conversation, Jessica. Okay, so I'm literally sitting in front of a gorgeous Christmas tree right now, so I'm totally just 
enraptured by the beauty of it. So anyway, <laughs> um, okay, so our first character is, drumroll please, <laughs> Joseph. So what was, what was so spectacular about Joseph? Before we answer that question, would you mind reading the verse that we had chosen for this week? Yes. Okay. So we are taking a look from the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Um, let's see. I'll go ahead and start at verse 18, and then I will read 18 and 19 for right now. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll some, move on yeah. further. Anyway, okay, so my heading is the birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Resolved to divorce her quietly. And then we'll probably come back to that so we can talk about the angel and everything. But of course. Take it away, buddy. So, um, as you can tell, like this right here is uh, Jesus' earthly parents. So you have Mary and Joseph. Like I think everybody knows this story, right? Or to some degree. Um, but I kind of wanted to focus on Joseph because... I feel like a lot of times we just focus on the quick birth of Jesus and, and then we don't really talk about the, the two parents involved. Um, so what do you know about Joseph? Um, I know that he was probably trained in carpentry because we know that that was Jesus' profession mm-hmm. before he began in ministry. That he did have some religious affiliation because again during jesus's lifetime we see that he's circumcised when he's eight days old so they take him to the temple and then again he's also there when he's 12 um so they observe like different jewish like feast festival yeah customs is is the better word so we know that like He's not a priest, but he is a man of faith. Um, he comes from the, I love this little snippet, the house and the lineage of David. So he is descended from royalty. And all that means is, is David, you know, had kids who had kids who eventually, if you go down that line, uh, Joseph would be in that line somewhere. And that's... The part of Matthew chapter 1 that you always gloss over because it's just... It's a lot of names that I don't even know how to pronounce, much less know who the people are. I just think it's cool because it's like literally like you think of David and Goliath, like it's that guy. Yeah, he has a a legacy. So going back, um, let's kind of put ourselves in, in Joseph's shoes, right? He's engaged to be married. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, did we did we determine how old they were? So, I think Mary is like early teens. Let's say maybe thirteen or fourteen. Hmm. Okay. 
I would imagine he would be a few years older. Slightly. I think we said no more than 19. So we're dealing with teenagers. But this is just like our speculations here. Yeah, but we're still, like, it, it is well known that they, we're dealing with teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're... Keep in mind, though, that the average lifespan during this time was going to be much shorter. shorter. So what we think of as someone who's not ready for marriage, they're like, you're burning time. You're burning daylight here. So a teenager to them would probably have been the equivalent of like a, a 20, 30-something. Yeah, 25, 30-year-old here. To us. Um, but anyway, so think about it from Joseph's standpoint. Like he's engaged to be married. He finds out his wife-to-be is pregnant. Now, he had not slept with the woman. Mm-hmm. And if, if I remember correctly, it's actually a custom of like, they did wait till marriage. Like, that was a huge thing. Yes. And so he's, before he realizes what's going on, he's under this understanding of like, oh, this woman stepped out on me. Right? Like, mm-hmm. she cheated. She broke a commitment. Um, so I would imagine he'd be very upset. But what does he decide to do? He decides, it says in the text, to quietly um, divorce her. Now... He could have made a very public spectacle of this. Well, and if he would have made a public spectacle, here's what would have happened. Is she would have been stoned. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is stoned to death, beaten with rocks. uh, Publicly. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if anything would have happened to him. But, because he didn't do anything wrong, so he would have gotten off Scott Flea. Mm-hmm. Um, but her, at worst, she would have been stoned to death. Uh, you know, at least she would have been shunned. Right? Like, she would have just been, no man would have wanted her from that point on. Does that, would that make sense? Well, I feel like, too, perhaps she would have taken some time, like you said, away from the community that she would have thought of as her home. Yeah. She would have had to flee. Um, And I do think, I've read it somewhere, um, that her reputation as as a cheater, whatever the the title would be, would live for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if it would be forever, but it would live for a long time. So... For him to say, okay, I'm going to divorce her, but I'm going to do so quietly, was really a sign of, like, his his respect. Well, and this, too, it gives me pause to wonder if perhaps that's why she did spend some time at her cousin Elizabeth's. That's a good point. We'll get to that uh, later on in the next couple of weeks, but I like that. Because, well, according to scripture, she goes to visit her cousin... Um, but she shares the good news of being pregnant. Yes. So maybe there's a connection there. Um, but I love it. I love his, in, his, uh, integrity that he has of like, I'm going to, I'm still going to follow through with divorcing, but he's basically saying, look, like I still want her to be respected, to be cared for. Um, he's still showing compassion for her. Mm-hmm. So I'll go ahead and I'll read a little bit more from that chapter to see his thought process and the kind of the next part of the story, if you will. Yeah. Again, still in Matthew chapter 1, 
picking it up at verse 20. But as he, meaning Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Hmm. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. So, again, what I like about that is the simple fact of like, it's this simple fact that the Holy Spirit spoke to him and was like, look, what you're experiencing, what is about to happen is part of a bigger plan, right? And through, like, if, if you go with the the plan to divorce, it's, it's, it's going to change the plan. He's being encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Stick to the plan. Continue with marrying her. Um, he says, don't know her till your marriage, which, or till, yeah, till you're married. Basically means don't sleep with her because you don't want to raise that suspicion. But I love it. He just, he's obedient to God's word. He's obedient to what God is teaching, telling him to do. Um, and I think that, that that's just really important. Mm-hmm. Did you have any further thoughts or do you want to? Um, I was just ready to move to Luke chapter 2, Let's verses 1 through 7. Let's do it. Hi, puppy. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where... Oh my goodness, I'm not sure how to say this. Quirinius? We'll go with that. ...was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. I think it's interesting that... um. Luke takes the time to mention that this was a census year because for us here in America, 2020 was also a census year. And I'm guessing a census then and a census now is very similar. It's getting a count of who is in your community, um, most likely for tax purposes. I was just going to say it was, it would have been for tax purposes. To just kind of see, like, okay, there are this many people who live in this area. And, so we and he had to travel to his homeland where he where he kind of grew up because mm-hmm. he was still registered there. Like, because back in those days, like, mm-hmm. you were still registered wherever you were raised. Because he my was living in Nazareth, mm-hmm. but he was from Bethlehem. Yeah. 
And do you happen to know the distance between Nazareth and Bethel? Bethlehem? Uh, I do not off the top of my head, actually. Okay. Um, well, I was just, I was just curious because I, I imagine, I wonder if it's almost like, I wonder if it's almost like it's, it's not the major city is Bethlehem and like Nazareth is, is a smaller city within, almost like how we would have a state. Mm-hmm. Well, and you have to remember too that they're making this journey like with, we always think of it as a donkey, but a donkey is not specified. So it could have been partially on foot, partially on an animal. Um, with a very pregnant lady. Yeah. So that's not going to be a very easy trip. No. So what can we pull from these verses, from the character of Joseph, and that would apply not only to our lives, but like our Christmas season? Ooh, very good question. Um, I feel like Christmas, for so many people, we get caught up in the commercial aspect of like, oh, well, this is a new product that has come out that I can buy and you know, we always want to give gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like for Joseph, his gift was the fact that he had his heart softened toward Mary. Because I feel like there would have been affection between the two of them. Mm-hmm. They probably had been in an arranged sort of a situation, but I feel like because their marriage was forthcoming, they would have been together for a while. And yeah, finding out that Mary was pregnant by someone else, that definitely would have been a moment where he would have been angry and upset. I wonder if it's like a Simba and Nala thing where they kind of grew up in a similar like together mm-hmm. way to bring the lion king into the christmas story I mean, why not <laughs> well I'm, I'm just curious because no, i totally understand like, where you're coming from with that like you and i we knew each other for many years before we got married mm-hmm. and just with that with the little bit that we knew each other there was already a connection there yeah. i couldn't imagine if we grew up together you know what i mean mm-hmm. that would be that would make it totally different um but you also have to you also have to think about um, you also have to think about like okay so he finds out she's pregnant he decides to stay with her um, and then I think it was right after they were married before Jesus was born or right around the time Jesus was born Holy Spirit speaks to him again and was like you need to move to Egypt um, because the king mm-hmm. was trying to like kill off all the two year olds. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely talk about that now. Again, um, going into Matthew chapter 2, we see that Jesus is born in Bethlehem in Judea, and Herod is the king. So they have these individuals. We think of them as the magi. They're called the wise men. 
and they came from the east. They're coming into Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, we're searching for the one who's been born the king of the Jews. We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Hmm. And Herod was like, oh, really? Let I, I me would like to worship him as well. Also go search for this child. But the flight to Egypt, that happens, um, like, after the wise men have come to Jesus and Joseph and Mary where they were staying, they present their gifts, they go home a different way, they do not return to Herod. You see that they go to Egypt. It's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, or starting at verse 13. Mm -hmm. So I'll go ahead and read that for you. Uh, the flight to Egypt. Now when they had departed, meaning the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. Mm -hmm. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fill, fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So this was like an interesting little tidbit in the back of my mind. Like rumbling around like a marble or a pinball machine or something. So Joseph, the story of Joseph, you know, and his many colored coat. That Joseph was known for the ability to interpret dreams. So I feel like it is interesting to note that this Joseph is also being given vital information through a dream. Through a dream. That's just the hand of God being like, I'm gonna connect all these dots. Like I have I And I feel like this is gonna come up in twenty twenty one when we talk about um the ethnicity and like how everything connects. Like I have never made that connection before and I have been around the church a long time. Like, I've definitely heard the Around Christmas story. Around 30 years, roughly? Yeah. <laughs> so, um... Well, okay, so... But here's what I love about Joseph, mm -hmm. right? The father of Jesus, Joseph. Yes. Um, <laughs> now we have to clarify. <laughs> yeah. So, here's what I love about it. He's a man who, again... Because I grew up in a society, like, in a, in a culture where men kind of are an afterthought. You know what I mean? People always talk about the strength of a mother, the strength of women, and that's an amazing thing. But I think we forget about the characteristics of a father. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that in Joseph, where very beginning, he's put through the ringer and he sticks it out with his with his wife, right? Where he could have divorced her, he decide he he decides not to because of the Holy Spirit speaking to him. Now we have a moment where he's laying in bed. Um, Holy, the Holy Spirit speaks to him again. Because it's important to note that Jesus was not just born when the wise men arrived. Like, he would have been toddler. He would have been a toddler, age. two, three years old. And that's why the king was looking for him, because the prophecy that they were following was saying, oh, the, the uh, Savior is going to come from this area. Mm -hmm. So he slaughtered all the babies, of all the boys around that age of two. Like two and under. Yeah. Because he wanted to keep his throne. He thought it was uh, political. It wasn't political. Mm -hmm. um, but going back to Joseph, he's laying in bed. And he's just like, the Holy Spirit knocks on his chest and just goes, look. 
this is what's going on. You need to get out of here. Without even a doubt, without a question in his mind, he packs his wife up, packs his kid up, and leaves and lives in Egypt for a few years. And that definitely would have been a big trip to go from where they were to Egypt. And you also have to not only um, kind of applaud him for his obedience, but applaud Mary for her obedience, not only to God, but to her husband. Because could, could you imagine if I woke you up the middle of the night and be like, we got to leave, we're going to Canada. <laughs> because our son is in danger, which we don't have a son. But you see what I'm saying. Like, yes. It would be, you'd look at me like, are you, you out of your mind? I'm going back to bed. Uh-huh. Well, because like we have our jobs and our life and like everything. And, well, I, and I would imagine they did too. Mm-hmm. To some degree. Again, I don't know if we've touched on this, but he was a carpenter, so he would have had, you know, people that would have known him for his skill and would have come to him to make things for them. Exactly. So that's what I pull from from Joseph is just this obedience that he has to the Holy Spirit to go, look, the situation isn't perfect. You're in danger. But to listen to the Holy Spirit and go, okay, because he even he doesn't even come back. Uh, to his home and tell the Holy Spirit tells him to, that he can't. And for all, like, when Jesus was born, we knew they had family there because that's why he went there to be registered. But going to Egypt, there's not any there's no... footnote for us that says, yes, he had people that he knew or that he so, could stay with. So we can presume, we can assume he had no family there. So he is taking his wife and young child to a place that he Presumably has never been before himself. Doesn't know. Nothing. There's no economic certainty. So, yeah. It almost seems like just too fantastical. I don't know. <laughs> well, see, and this is what I love about the Christmas story, right? It's like, and this is why I dig into this every year. Because I'm like, okay, it's not just Jesus being born in a manger. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not just the wise man coming to see him as a toddler or whatever. It's all these characters, all these people being perfectly moved around by God to ensure that Jesus survives or is born, survives, and is able to take this the the throne of God. Well, and going back to Joseph of the many colored coat, he rose to be Pharaoh's second in command through his ability of dream interpretation. And then when the famine in the land came, he was able to save the children of Israel and also the people of Egypt. And then there was a pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, so the people were enslaved for 400 years before Mm -hmm. God called them out of Egypt with Moses. So now I feel like this is just God showing his consistency to be like, okay, I'm going to yet again take this person that is most special to me and bring them out of Egypt. Yeah, definitely. Just like think of the history that the Israelites had had with the Egyptians. That's awesome. As like this workforce. And so, yeah, um, I don't know. I just really think it's neat. Yeah, so... Is there any more that we need to discuss about Joseph? Um, 
I mean, we could probably talk for a long time, but this is just the overview. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that like he and Mary do go on to have other children. And At least one that I know of. Because he does have a brother, and I believe Jesus also had sisters as well. Like I said, one that I know of, but mm-hmm. I haven't researched the sisters of Christ. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah. So as as you guys look at this scripture, as or these scriptures, I should say, um, really keep that in mind. Like, what are you learning from Joseph? What what can you apply to your life um, that might help you connect with the Holy Spirit better, or or God? better you know what i mean and i think i always liked the christmas story from luke chapter two because that is one of the christmas traditions that i have with my extended family is that we read the christmas story before opening our presents and things and we we will we'll get there i think that'll be one of the last weeks but we'll get there Mm -hmm. um so we've already touched a little bit on that story. Um, well, I imagine we're going to come back to it a couple times. And like for me, because I grew up in a liturgical church, we have the season of Advent, which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. So you focus on the attributes of love, joy, peace, and hope. And not necessarily in that order. Not necessarily in that order, no. But it is. It's just a calming time. Again, there's. This dichotomy between our culture and our faith. So our culture is like you have to be very, very busy and you have to get all of this stuff done. But our faith says no, like this is a time of quiet reflection. Mm-hmm. And again, I feel like Joseph had these moments where, of course, especially like after Jesus is born and he's growing up, he would have just sat and reflected to be like, okay, yes, he is my child, but he also is the son of God. And, I mean, they knew, yes, he's going to save his people. But, like, can you imagine as a parent what that would have been like? To be like, what is my child going to go through? Well, and that's what I'm saying. like, Because Mary and Joseph, they couldn't have known the crucifixion. They couldn't have known what was coming, but I'm sure it was one of those things, especially as Jesus was growing older, getting ready to be a part of his own ministry, that they would have sat back and reflected about. And like you said, that would be hard to deal with. Or even just being woken up by the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. and being like, your son is in danger, move him to Egypt. What? So that shows Joseph's obedience, not once, but twice, to an angel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Because if Joseph had said, no, I'm not going to marry this woman, and, and it, or no, I'm not going to take my family in the middle of the night. Or imagine it, like I said, if you waited. Mm-hmm. Oh, you spoke it to me tonight, but I'm going to wait till tomorrow night. I'm going to wait till the night after that. He just keeps pushing it. It might have been too late. Mm-hmm. He gathered up right away and just, we're going, you know. Um, that just shows the faith that he had, you know. And I think, right now, I think that's the faith we need. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. What are you guys getting from this verse or these verses? Like, feel free to hit us up. Uh, hit us up at beautifulfeedentertainment.com. 
Beautiful Feet Entertainment on Instagram and Twitter. Go ahead and share your thoughts with us. Um, any last thoughts? Like you were saying how this shows Joseph's faith, I feel like, again, even though he's, he's not a priest, he must have had some sort of deep connection mm-hmm. to God and the Holy Spirit and just these attributes. And this is what I love when you read scripture, especially the Old Testament, because the Old Testament, quote, the church, quote unquote, was not established, mm-hmm. right? So like, when you go to church now, they're like, oh, here's how you connect with God. You read your Bible, you pray, and there's like a steps. Mm-hmm. They didn't have that. They probably had something similar, like they still had prayer, but it looked different. Mm-hmm. Um, you had men working in as shepherds, having a full conversation or a few full uh, community with God. Like Abraham, Moses, mm-hmm. uh, I don't I think Abraham was a shepherd, but you, you get my point. Like these men who had manual labor jobs, um, and they didn't have time to be like, I'm going to start off in the morning with deep prayer and meditation like that. That probably wasn't in their, in their preparation. It was just a daily thing that they did on their own. Whereas now we have the church trying to guide us and teach us how to do it. And it's great. Mm -hmm. But I think there's something we're missing sometimes where we forget the personal connection with it. Well, again, I feel like for us in the modern world, it all goes back to are you taking time to have reflection? Whether that's reading your Bible or doing a devotional or just sitting and being in the quiet and allowing God to speak to you in whatever form that manifests itself. Yeah. Like for me, when I pray, I really enjoy to actually like journal it out, like to write it out. So I can look back and see, oh, okay, God did answer this prayer in this way. And one thing I've learned, um, because you and I are totally different as far as um, how we express our faith. Mm-hmm. We're totally different, which is fine. You journal. I, on occasion, but most of the time I don't. Um, but I've learned to not press press my way of connecting with God onto other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're getting kind of off topic, but that's okay. Um, I just feel like it's your personal relationship with God. Yeah, you have to develop your own personal connection with God. And how you do that. Exactly. And again, I feel like Joseph must have had a connection with God for God to choose him and for God to choose Mary. Like, mm-hmm. And yeah, next week we are going to talk about Mary. So we're going from Joseph to Mary and then we'll plan the other two weeks. But um, Speaking of planning, for those of you who are wanting to know what's going on behind the scenes at Beautiful Fate Entertainment... Today, we had like a major planning session. We sat down. We looked at our calendar. We have both the Bible study portion of the podcast and the, hey, here's like the interviews, the movies we're going to cover. We have it all planned out from January until August. 
So now, be prepared for 2021. Be prepared, one, because we're getting deep into history. History. Oh, I am so excited. We're, we're going to be having a lot of research-heavy episodes. And a lot um, of fun things, too. We are going to throw in some fun things. Um, we're going to end the 2020 uh, season just uh, going through some Christmas movies. But we're really going to 2021 January. We're hitting the ground running, going deep into history of the Bible, things like that. So... It's put. It's it's gonna be a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, that's just kind of what we've been working on. I I love it when we have those moments where we really sit and are like, okay, this is what we want to have for our listeners. I feel like it makes it so much easier for us to let you know what's coming up next. Mm-hmm. So, thank you so much for listening with us during this holiday season. Absolutely, and and you know, like I said, feel free to comment, feel free to contact us in in beautifulfeetentertainment.com and beautiful feet entertainment on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and we're just gonna keep this party rolling. Would you mind playing us out? Of course. So, um, with our cast of characters, you said this week we looked at Joseph. Mary is coming up next week, so stay tuned for that. Eventually, we'll get into the wise men. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we touched a little bit on them today. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to spill the beans totally across the floor. But yeah, we got some stuff coming up this I month. I pictured it. I pictured beans just everywhere. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much for this wonderful time of the year that you have brought us to, for this chance that we have in 2020, to be able to reflect upon the birth of Jesus Christ and just what that means to us as a church today, to us individually. We thank you for, again, just this time of quiet reflection where I love the fact that you're just bringing light into this darkened world. Um, as the days are shorter in winter, we see people who are putting up their Christmas lights. They might have a fireplace going, but we know that Jesus truly is the light of the world for us. And we thank you so much for the fact that, again, that you sent him to be born as a baby and that we can watch him grow and just have these teachings from the Bible. Um, the Bible is... The word of God that is alive, it's living, it's always ready to impart something new to us. And we thank you for this story of Joseph, that we looked at his integrity and his obedience and the faith that he had and the family that he loved. So we thank you that even now, so many years after the birth of Christ, that we are able to just be blessed by this story And we thank you for each and every one of our listeners, that you would be with them during this time, that you would keep them safe, and that you would keep them happy, that they would be healthy, and that we thank you so much for the community that we're building through our podcast. We thank you for the fact that we're able to share in our faith in this way. And Jesus, we thank you especially for the life that you lived for us 
and that you died for us so that we could have eternal life. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, we're going to go ahead and end this episode. We'll be back next week with uh, some more stuff. I forget what we have planned for next week. Oh, my goodness, Tony. We're <laughs> talking about Mary because we talked yeah, about but what about Joseph. the other portion of the Bible or the other portion of the podcast? So, we're doing Christmas movies. That is correct. So, yeah, we're starting to review Christmas movies because it's the Christmas season. Duh. Anyway... Um, we'll be back next week with the Beautiful Feet Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Beautiful Feet Podcast, a partnership of BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Please feel free to follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Please visit BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com and do not forget to like, share, and subscribe.